0: On this week's episode of Freight Up, we'll be delving into the FISE silent auction and how it's injecting life into the voluntary carbon market. We'll also be looking at how the US shoring up its oil reserves will impact the fuel oil market. And finally, dissect a sleepy steel market. All this and more on Freight Up. Hello and welcome to Freight Up. My name's Fernanda and I'll be your host as we navigate the seas of freight and commodities. On this week's episode, we have an action-packed five updates for you. Fuel oil, carbon, iron ore, steel, and of course, freight. First, our head of carbon, Theo up. So we are in the studio with our head of carbon, Theo, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Fantastic. Great to have you here. So you've been working on... Probably one of the most interesting projects I've had the pleasure of helping with, and yeah. that's the silent auction—a silent auction where you can see the market, but the market can't see you. You've essentially taken the price away.
1: It's not uh, groundbreaking in the sense; it is still an auction, but it was a, an idea that came up with to solve a problem in the voluntary carbon market, which is an OTC market. The issue has been because the market has so many sellers that buyers are scared, buyers are frightened that if they show a price, it's going to be pay, given very, very quickly. And so we've got a market full of sellers. Considering the problem, I thought, let's try and find a solution to the problem. And the solution was this, when in, a, in an order, you've got a product, you've got a volume, you've got a price. Now, the issue with the whole thing was that the price was hindering a transaction. So all I've done is is remove the price. So the variable that everyone's frightened of, I've taken out of the equation. That's how the auctions work. So the idea is to give the the marketplace the confidence to show bids to buy the project and also gives confidence to the sellers to show their best price. Because in fact, the only person that sees the price in the transaction is only when the transaction occurs and the buyer and the seller will know the price. That's the whole idea. So I can give you an example. So if you've got a project that the market thinks is worth $5, instead of going to the market and showing 10 offers at $5, which would be a race to the bottom, I've actually said, let's do an auction. So we put an auction out and say, "Is project, volume, but no price. The buyers think the market is worth $5 as well, but they thought, well, I'm going to try my luck. I'm going to show $4. And another guy says, I'll try my luck and show $4.25. On the other side of the seller, thinks the market's worth $5, but has not seen a bid. But they internally are happy to to sell it at $3.75. Now, if they show $3.75, it's a race to the bottom, and it ruins the market. So we remove the price again. Start the auction. The reserve price is $3.75, but no one knows that. The buyers show a bid at $4. Another one shows at $4.25. No one sees that either. Auction closes. Transaction has been completed and there's been two trades. So from absolutely nothing, there's been two trades. And here's the good part. The seller wanted to sell at 375, but themselves $4. So they're 25 cents happier. The seller, the buyer that wanted to buy at 425, got it at $4, so he's 25 cents happier. And the buyer that bought it at $4 is happy because they think the market's worth five, but they bought it at four. So in actual fact we've created a solution to the whole problem. And we've created two transactions. So now the market will know that there's been two transactions. So the market has now got some enthusiasm about tr- that things about in trading and we want to participate in the next auction because you've got to try your luck. If you try your luck, you never know you might get a trade. Now, it doesn't work in a, in a liquid market, in a fast-paced market, because you want to see transparency. But at the moment, we're providing a solution to a, a the problem in the market that there are no transactions. Once that changes, and hopefully in the future, we have a liquid market will dissolve the auction process and try something else. But for now, it's an idea that has had really good traction and people starting to get used to it.
0: It's a really great way to facilitate liquidity because you've essentially eliminated the song and dance where everyone just has to put forward their best.
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly. And just giving people the confidence to participate and to show uh, prices. That's the whole idea.
0: Well, fantastic. When you aren't Sending clean cooking ware to Malawi or saving the mangroves, uh, Theo. W- what else does the Carbon Desk get up to?
1: Oh, we, we're actually expanding across the globe. You can hear from my accent, I'm Australian. I started off my career in the Australian markets. So our desk also, it brokers Australian carbon credits, uh, New Zealand carbon credits. Now, the Australian markets are quite an interesting one. If anyone wants to hear more about it, please get in touch directly. The Australian market is like the EUA Number two, so it's the mini EUA market. So in in July the first this year, the Australian carbon market will become a compliance market. So the the top 215 emitters are required by law to reduce their carbon or buy credits. So we've been active in that market and um, we've been actually trading quite well. Uh, It's quite an interesting market. There's been a massive dislocation between the futures market and the uh, OTC market when it comes to voluntary carbon credits. So the futures market has been quite depressed for its own reasons, but the OTC market is an interesting market and the OTC market ha- has still life in it and there is interest in it. So I look at the OTC market from its, from the fundamentals, supply and demand. Demand, although we create these auctions and try and continue this liquidity, demand is actually okay. Like The corporates are interested in decarbonization, interested in buying carbon credits, and in fact, there's been some research, and I can't remember who, who it was, so I'll just go off press and say it, that companies that have been proven and shown that the ones that actually do aim to decarbonize actually are the ones that are also buying credits. So they're actually doing good for the environment. So the whole idea about carbon credits is to actually, for corporates, not to look at them as just buying credits to say they've actually done the right thing, but investing in projects that actually matter. When you're in buying a carbon credit for a mangrove, you're investing in, in that project which is, has to be a good thing. So companies putting back is very, very important from a society perspective and for their own, their own benefits. So take the shipping industry, for example. Now, the shipping industry has been a little slow to, to pick up decarbonization and getting involved in the marketplace, but there's no reason why, and I think it should be done, for shipping companies to consider looking at mangrove projects, consider looking at ocean projects, because that's where their playground is. If, you, if you're a shipper out there and you want to know more about Voluntary uh, Carbon, uh, please get in touch as well.
0: And one of the first things that you told me in our first conversation, Theo, was that you wanted them to be good projects. Yeah. yeah, you, yeah. You've been going out of your way to, to vet these projects.
1: Yeah, but, uh, it's, it's probably a personal thing. It's probably There's an integrity issue there. And, and I think it's important that you know, we're known in FIS as a service provider or a broker of high integrity projects because I think that really matters. I mean, it's been difficult in the in the in the marketplace. A lot of negativity, which is very easy to do, just poke at the market. You know, the Guardian wrote, writes an article, and someone else writes an article. In the background, there are people that, hopefully, myself and I know many others in the in the marketplace that that believe in this market, even though it's been kicked around a lot. I think it will come out good in the future because, at the end of the day, we need to make a difference. We need to do something, so we can all point and say, "Do nothing," and that's pretty easy. The hard bit is actually stand up and say, okay, I'm gonna get involved. So I'm pretty proud of this. And I'm actually, I've been in, the market, in commodity markets for 20 years now. And for the first time, I might be repenting my sins here, but for the first time, <laughs> I'm actually really proud of uh, the product that I'm actually dealing in.
0: That's amazing, Theo. And I think this was a really good opportunity for myself and our audience to learn about some of the good that we're doing here at FIS and if nothing else, they all just really enjoyed listening to your accent. No worries. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us, Theo. Cool. No
1: worries.
0: And now your fuel oil update with Archie Smith. Hello, Archie. How you doing?
2: I'm good, Fernanda. Thank you.
0: So what's going on with the fuel oil market? Well, I mean, Brent's been rallying,
2: actually, past couple of days. It's kind of reversed those heavy losses that we saw last, kind of at the end of last week that continued into Monday as well, those losses. But yesterday, and today, we've really seen some good support in the market. And this is coming from a few factors. One was yesterday's CPI data came through fairly kind of level with expectations, if not slightly better. And therefore, kind of off the back of that, people are predicting no more interest rate hikes from the Fed. When they hike the interest rates... That normally has a, a negative effect on crude. So with this positive inflation data that's come out the US yesterday, people are like, okay, you know, they might put a break on these on these hikes. We've seen that kind of really offer some support to the market. Another thing that's kind of to think about is China have have said they may be introducing like a stimulus package. They had some weaker economic data that's been coming out over the past couple of weeks and obviously they're, they're really kind of looking to boost those numbers. So, I don't know if there's anything official yet, but there's been talks of an economic stimulus package for China. Any kind of bullishness coming out of China will affect oil and just kind of, you know, just global confidence in general, really.
0: A rising um, so tide yeah, lifts all ships, huh?
2: That, exactly that, exactly that. So, with that news as well, there's been a little bit of support there. And just, you know, I think there's been some, some market tightness as well. There was an OPEC report that came out yesterday. That indicated a bit of market like supply tightness, uh, obviously with their cuts and whatnot. So yeah, there's a few factors there offering support to the crude. I mean, we're up to about $75 a barrel at the minute for the Augie future. August 2023 future, that is, on the Brent. The Augie uh, future. Yeah. <laughs> that was down to kind of sub-72 levels, at the lows kind of last week, or it might have even been Monday. Uh, so, you know, we've really, really seen a rally there. And yeah, I mean, there's still definitely recessionary headwinds about you could argue, are limiting those gains. In the short term, we're definitely seeing an increase in the price. Another factor that's really offered some support to the Brent complex is the US SPR, which is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, have started buying back oil. So last year, they sold over 200 million barrels out of the reserves, which is a little bit dangerous. But, you know, the Biden administration decided to do that. I think their main reasoning was to try and keep the... Prices at the pump, lower for the consumer. In turn, maybe winning a few votes. Let's not get too political, I don't know. Where crude's come off so much the past couple of weeks, and we're relatively cheap, SPR have started buying those 200 million barrels back. Uh, obviously, they've got a plan for how they're going to do this in installments, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, with these large purchases, SPR starting to fill up. It is just bolstering that price. When a big governing body like the SPR start purchasing oil, Naturally, that's quite bullish. So that's definitely another important factor that's, that's kind of played a part in this in this recent rally.
0: So have we seen any of these macro factors start to affect the market?
2: Yeah, 100%. It's really trickled down into the bunker market. We've seen a massive rally in the low sulfur cracks. I mean, they've gone up on the week like $3.00. In the Sing low sulfur crack, that's up. I think last week was trading around $9 per barrel. Now it's up to as high as $12. I think it's gone past $12 per barrel. A similar story in the Euro, that's around the $4 per barrel mark. You know, that's up a couple of bucks on the week. The spreads as well, they've rallied, especially in the front. Back ends, not so much, but uh, you know, front front time spreads for the Sing Point five, the July versus August contract specifically that's trading around 14 bucks. You know, Last week, that was 10, 11. And even yesterday, that spiked like $2 just on the day, which is kind of good news, I guess, for people who are long the July contract. It means they can roll at a premium or a larger premium. So yeah, I mean, we're definitely seeing a, a push in the fuel market. Uh, the, the only thing really that's gone the other way is the high sulfur east-west. We've seen that actually get hammered. Uh, that's gone into the negative territory now, meaning now the Euro high sulfur fuel oil is trading for a higher price than the Singapore equivalent. It was kind of sitting around the four or five positive dollars per metric ton level. And it was it was yesterday, or maybe the day before, into yesterday, it just started to get hammered. And we're now trading around minus five dollars per metric ton on that east-west. So that's that's quite interesting to see. High fives have widened. The oh. high fives have widened. In oh. the sink specifically because that SING 0.5 crack is getting so much stronger. It's dragging the price of the of the low sulfur away from the price of the high sulfur, therefore widening that high five spread. So vessel operators or vessel owners who've got them scrubbers fitted uh, are happy bunnies at the minute. Oh. Or happier bunnies.
0: Oh, <laughs> happy bunnies.
2: Today, as every Wednesday, we have the EIA stockpile report coming out later this afternoon, which, you know, more often than not does play a part in the market. And I think especially... With DSPR buying back at the minute, that could have an influence on the market more than it does sometimes. So look out for the EIA data and uh, and the U.S. Fed meeting. See what they do. I mean, I know, as I mentioned before, predictions are they're going to pause the the rate hikes, but, you know, it's not over till it's over. Those are going to be the two main factors to watch out for on how the market's going to move.
0: All right, Archie. We'll definitely keep an eye on those and we'll look forward to discussing them with you next week.
2: 100%.
0: And now, James Robinson with your Iron Ore update. All right, and back by popular demand, we have James Robinson here to talk about Iron Ore. How are you doing, James?
3: I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining. And then, so you're going to be joining us weekly from now on, right?
3: uh, uh yeah, touch wood.
0: <laughs> that was a very uncertain, yeah, and a very strong laugh. But we look forward to having you. So lots of news coming out of the commodities markets, a lot of focus on China. How's that been manifesting itself in iron ore?
3: Uh, It's been quite a big week for iron ore so far, and I would suspect that we're going to see quite a lot more in the days to come. Yeah, so we started the week on a bit of a downturn as Goldman Sachs voiced concerns regarding the recovery in the Chinese property markets, which caused a 5% sell-off in the Singapore morning. The bank stated that they expect the recovery in Chinese real estate to be quote-unquote L-shaped, so that would look like a crash followed by a very long period of stagnation, so recovery is a slightly generous term. On Tuesday, however, it was a very different picture indeed, as in something of a surprise move, the People's Bank of China cut its seven-day reverse repo rate from 2% to 1.9%. This should theoretically lead to increased capital within the private lending system, and that gave uh, iron ore a little bit of a gain to one eleven ninety. Now whilst we don't have the figures yet it is expected the growth continued to slow for the month of May and so the calls for further rate cuts and stimulus are growing louder so this week we are expecting further rate cuts from the People's Bank in China and this comes in contrast to the Federal Reserve which whilst uh, we are looking at a pause this week this latest quarterly meeting they have been consistently raising rates for the last year by a quarter of a percent. So, yeah, some real, real contrast across the Pacific.
0: Going back to Goldman's, the L-shaped prediction wasn't the only piece of news that uh, came out from there, was it?
3: Yeah, so you may remember in last week's episode, we mentioned Goldman's cut their second half of 23 price estimate for iron ore from $110 per metric tonne to $90 per metric tonne. Uh, That call has since been joined by Citibank who also expect to see a $90 per ton price point in Q4 of 2023. On more of a macro perspective, OPEC maintained their estimate of Chinese growth at 5.2%, which is pretty much in line with the government targets, which, as we mentioned last week, are more to the conservative side.
0: I see. See, and that's cleverly how I avoid talking about the U.S. debt ceiling, James. (laughs) (laughs) It's a painful topic. But I, I understand it's it's really impacting every commodity.
3: Yeah, I mean, debt is an ongoing debate in China. So whilst this interest rate cut is likely to go down well with investors, there is still some serious question marks over whether debt-related stimulus is, is necessarily going to bring about the turnarounds needed in the Chinese economy. So, for instance, debt at the moment is... Three, approximately three times the size of GDP. So whether adding more credit into the system is, is enough to sort of turn around a very debt laden economy anyway is a pretty open question at this point.
0: So as fun of a topic as national debt is, James, and I, I love it. I really do I love talking about it. Let's go back to the physical side of, of things. How, how's the physical doing?
3: So on the physical side, steel mill margins are looking pretty close to flat, having delved into loss-making territory in the latter half of May. Ouch. Yeah, so whilst steel mills aren't really making a great deal on production, they're no longer losing money, which is a step in the right direction. And in regard to furnace utilisation, I know Kerry's a very big fan of talking about this uh, (laughs) on the podcast, blast furnace utilisation remains high, around the 89% mark, but EAF furnace utilisation, that's the electric arc furnace, which requires less iron ore and more uh, scrap heavy inputs. That has to continue to decline which has provided us with a little bit of price support on iron ore as a raw material.
0: So it looks like next week is going to be quite newsworthy then, James.
3: Yeah, it's going to be a big day in the newsroom and hopefully we see quite a lot of price volatility off the back of it.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, James. We'll see you next week.
3: Thank you very much. Been a pleasure.
0: It's time for your freight update with Carrie Deal. All right. Welcome, Carrie. We've missed you, but
4: always on the road, as you know. <laughs>
0: Yes, definitely. And that's not going to change anytime soon, right? You've got a busy travel schedule. It
4: is not. You know, next week in New York City, the FIS Spring Market Outlook presentation plus some cocktails. That'll be on Wednesday, the 21st of June for anyone who's in New York and feels like coming along to join us.
0: I was stalking the venue.
4: The venue is outstanding. It's LC Rooftop, which is... uh, a lovely rooftop bar in midtown Manhattan.
0: Overlooking the New
4: York skyline. Exactly, exactly. So anyone is welcome. That's from 5 30 p.m.
0: Fantastic. And where else are you off to?
4: Right after that, I'll be in Athens the following week. So I'll actually be on speaking on a panel at the 8th Global Shipbrokers Forum. That's down in Piraeus near Athens at the Peace and Friendship Stadium.
0: Is this uh, going to be a stadium performance? Apparently
4: it is a stadium performance. Yeah, exactly. Just call me Taylor Swift, right?
0: (laughs) You are my Taylor Swift,
4: (laughs) So again, you know, people, if they're in Athens, do come along. It should be a great panel and series of panels looking at the outlook for the maritime industry.
0: Sure, you're ready to share lots of insights with them, but you're also ready to share insights with us. The burning question is, how are the capes doing on the physical You know,
4: it's been a bit of a roller coaster on the capes this week. The market initially continued that strong trend of the previous week, jumping over 14% from last Wednesday until Tuesday of this week, before we just saw it start to stall out today. We saw iron ore shipments on that key C5 route from Australia to China remain very strong throughout the period, again, up until yesterday with a weekly increase of over 14% in shipped tons out of West Australia last week. Brazil, however, did begin to lag a little bit last week. They have been growing very strongly for the past couple of weeks, but iron ore shipments from there slowed substantially. So looking at that Australia route, C5 rates peaked last Friday at a little bit over $8.70 a ton for those June laycans, end of June laycans. wall. C3 rates, despite that lackluster cargo list, have actually kept climbing up to a just above $20 a ton.
0: Was the paper equally chaotic? Well,
4: I think the most interesting thing about the Cape market in the past week is the paper and the fact it failed to follow the physical market up at quite the same pace, especially the past couple of days. From Wednesday the 7th until today, that's Wednesday the 14th, we're recording, the front month Cape 5 TC futures have only risen 775 bucks, marked at 17275 value on FIS Live today which suggests that the futures the futures traders I should say may not be entirely sanguine about the macro situation. I think James has mentioned already in regards to iron ore that despite the surprise Chinese rate cuts which have encouraged iron ore prices there is some question on just how much room they have for more stimulus. So let's watch that in the meantime. The Q4 paper has been essentially flat moving from 17800 last Wednesday to 17750 today.
0: And we've gotten to my favorite part of your segment, carrie the Panamaxes.
4: Which, unfortunately, today will be also the most boring part. Oh, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Far from being a roller coaster, the Panamaxes have been strikingly flat, really amazingly flat in the past week. Uh, coming off that period of strength again from the previous week, the market stalled out and seems to be a bit confused about further direction in all basins. In the Pacific, Aussie has probably been the standout market, with the number of cargoes emerging in the past week from East Coast Aussie to Southeast Asia and Taiwan. Some more coal activity on the Indo front has been seen, too, with mid-8,000s heard paid yesterday into South China from Indonesia, and apparently achieving into the mid-9,000s to Japan. NOPAC, however, has been very uninspiring, with a lengthy tonnage list keeping things quite stable overall. In the Atlantic, front hull saw fairly limited cargo, as did TA, against a decently long tonnage list. So again, that's kept this cap on rates. Moving south, both charters and owners seem to be holding back, waiting for someone to blink out of East Coast South America, <laughs> although rates have remained steady. And the futures. The futures have been a touch more lively, mm-hmm. initially dipping at the end of last week and start of this week before a strong recovery today saw the front month July 4TC paper climb back up to 11.375 value on FIS Live now. That's compared to 11.300 last Wednesday, while well, the Q4 has stayed flat, marked at 12.250 this Wednesday compared to 12.150 last Wednesday.
0: Now, I know there is unfortunately not much to talk about regarding the Panamaxes, but if we could go back to the capes really quickly. You you painted a really interesting picture. If the paper really isn't performing how do you expect the market to unfold in the coming weeks
4: i would watch that signal you know personally we've talked a lot about how unconvinced i am of some of the macro signals coming out of china so i mean i I, I would watch and remind people of the fact that chinese stimulus may not be all it's cracked up to be and they may not have the ability to inject quite as much stimulus as we've seen in previous years nothing like the free-for-all we saw during the financial crisis for example so let's watch that space.
0: Definitely, we'll keep an eye going into the next week. Carrie, is that kind of the focus? That I, I think
4: suggest? that would be the focus. It's difficult to say very short term where this would go, but I, I personally would be less convinced that there's a rocket ship about to take off here in terms of stimulus. But let's see.
0: Powerful words from Carrie Deal. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank
5: you, Fernanda.
0: Let's move on to steel with Joshua Stern. Hey, Josh, how are you doing?
5: Yeah, hi there. How's it going, Fernanda? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been it's been tough going here in the last couple weeks. But yeah, I mean, all in all, we're starting to see the the environment change a bit, I would say. We really had spreads starting to come off. I know the June-July USHRC spread was trading at about 140 a few weeks back. It's now trading out, out at about 70. So those spreads have, have eased quite a bit. We kind of see further easing here coming up in the future. Today we just got the new CRU release just now, literally a couple minutes ago, down to nine thirty nine. That was another represents another forty eight dollar move downward. But at the same time, what we haven't expected is to see a recent rally in the derivative market or in the paper side of things. And when you kind of look at like the, I mean, yeah, over the last couple of weeks, really you've started to see the CME US HRC curve get bid up. Even then, yesterday, actually, for instance, if you're looking at the European HRC curve. I mean, you saw various months there trade all the way up into about the 670, 680. I was just looking at uh, AUG 23 the other day, and whenever it was down at 640, you know, it's now trading at about 670. So there is, uh, there is definitely some upward movement on the uh, on the EUHRC curve. A lot of that is going to be attributed to Asian suppliers, essentially, who were really coming in and offering down the, down their material, basically the exact opposite of what was happening a few weeks ago, right? China was going into Southeast Asia offering down material into Southeast Asia, which was then causing Southeast Asia to export into Europe again at a lower price. Now you're starting to see Chinese steel makers and producers actually go ahead and raise prices a little bit as things get a little bit more bullish on the whole kind of China side. But other than that, that's really kind of what we're seeing at the moment. That's why you're also starting to see a little bit of a bounce here in the European markets. One thing that I've always kind of been told, I would say, is never fight the trend. The trend is definitely going downward. So, how much do I believe in this little bounce here at the moment? Being, I'm not quite sure. I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be a sustained rally. Uh, there still is no or little downstream demand. So, yeah, on the spot market, it's it's tough to sell material at the moment. Stockholders, stockists, et cetera, they all have material, and if they are buying any material right now, it's just to go ahead and make up for any gaps in their inventory. But there aren't that many. Yeah, there's just not that much need for steel at the moment. As long as the physical side remains quiet, I think we'll be pretty quiet here on the derivative side. The last thing I would say is that yesterday, actually, again, you know, we've started to see quite a bit of interest in the in the EUHRC contract. I think first thing in the morning we had about five and a half kt of of EU HRC go through uh, by about 10.30 a.m. UK London time. Markets are still very much feeling it out. You know, I thought it was also interesting this morning to note that uh, somebody had bought an 8.50 put. Basically they had bought an August 8.50 USHRC put. You know, August is trading at about 8.60 at the moment. So it was this morning. Uh, now it's at about 8.47, so down on the day. But gives you a good idea of where people are a little bit worried in the market. You know, people are starting to go ahead and buy that protection for the downside. You know, Again, don't fight the trend, but people are starting to see that there is a little bit of bullishness. And hence, I think there are are definitely some players out there who are a bit on the fence as to whether this rally is going to be sustained or not. Personally, I don't think that that can be the case if there is no physical demand.
0: What is your big takeaway for people in the steel market looking into the next week?
5: I think the major takeaway of going into the next week for the steel markets is really going to be the material and that is actually moving out of China, right? As long as Chinese steel is going to be continuing to be bid up in the next couple of weeks, as long as the kind of sentiment around Chinese material increases and becomes more bullish, that's going to drive prices up. Now, as long as these prices are continuing to go up in China, again, as part of the domino effect, that means that this material will not be going into Southeast Asia, which in turn means that Southeast Asia will not be exporting cheap material into Europe. So, and think in the short term, there could well be a little bit of a bounce here in regards to yeah the EU HRC prices just due to what material is going to be available on a spot basis. But I don't see any strong physical demand in, at the exact same time. So I think that we could very well be kind of somewhere around a, a bottom, but not yet into a point where we're going to see any sustained rally. So maybe possibly seeing us kind of teeter here between the 6 and 700 zone for the next couple months.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Josh. It was a pleasure having you.
5: No problem. Thank you very much. Take care.
0: Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review either on our website or your app of choice. We have a slight preference for Apple Podcasts, but you let your freak flag fly.
1: Break up.